This week on Geek Explained, we're taking a look at a Netflix comic book series that has taken the world by storm. So grab your department store mannequins, cue up your record player, and get ready to save the world as we review Season 1 of The Umbrella Academy. Welcome back to Geek Explain, the podcast for comics, film, TV, and more. You name it, we Geek Explain it. I'm your host, Eric Zana, and today's episode is reviewing one of the most uh, kind of out of left field Netflix series that I think a lot of people did not know about before it was released, and that is, of course, The Umbrella Academy. This uh, this show is an adaptation of a Dark Horse comic that was originally released in 2007. So we're looking at uh, 12 years after the original release of the, uh, of the first series, we are finally getting an adaptation on Netflix. And um, this kind of flew under the radar at first. It released on uh, Netflix at the same time as Doom Patrol released on uh, DC Universe, the DC Universe app. And it took a little bit. It took, I would say, probably a week before it really just kicked up into high gear and Umbrella Academy mania is going on right now. A lot of people have been really enjoying it. A lot of people have gotten behind it just as one of those kind of off-the-cuff, weird uh, takes on the superhero comic book live-action format. And uh, as someone who really wasn't incredibly interested in the show when it was announced, after watching the first season, I can tell you uh, it made me a believer, for sure. I remember reading the original comic back... Uh, over a decade ago and being really interested in it but not being a huge fan of the art um, I'm a very visual reader so I will suffer through a horribly written comic as long as the art is amazing and uh, to mirror that I have a hard time getting through a comic even if the writing is incredible if I'm not a fan of the art uh, this is kind of reflected in uh, Power Man and Iron Fist the most recent uh, series featuring the two of them together I loved the writing the characterizations were spot on but in a lot of the issues I just couldn't get past the art so I was pleasantly surprised when uh, this this show came about and it took all of the best parts of the weird art choices that the original comic made and kind of adapted them into a uh, live action gritty Netflix style format. So I am going to give you a little bit of background on the uh, on the show as well as the comic that inspired it. And I've got my notes keyed up right here to uh, tell you all about what... Um, what I thought of it, there are, I'm going to put this out real quick, there are going to be pretty heavy spoilers in this review, so if you haven't watched the show, do yourself a favor, go on Netflix, it's only 10 episodes, watch it, come back. Uh, 
it's one of I think one of the most bingeable Netflix shows that we've gotten in a very long time. Uh, I myself binged it uh, over the course of two days, and I haven't binged a show that quickly in a very long time. So I was, I I think that can. Uh, vouch for how good this show is and how much it wants you to keep watching it from episode to episode. Uh, but first, real quick, I just wanted to give a little, uh, I guess, kind of a shout out. Because for those of you who are unaware, this past Sunday were the Oscars. Uh, the one night a year where people get really dressed up and actually really pay attention to how well somebody acted a scene in a movie so i like many people uh were glued to the results of the oscars i wasn't able to watch it live but i was keeping myself uh in the know with live updates wherever i could find them and into the spider-verse won an oscar Oh man, I'm super I'm super excited. Super excited. Into the Spider-Verse definitely deserved it. It won the Oscar for Best Animated Feature. I really am just so happy for that whole team because they absolutely deserved it. Uh, another thing that kind of came out of nowhere, Black Panther won three Oscars. Black, Black Panther walked away with uh, Best Original Score, Best Production Design, and Best Costumes. And I was surprised. I was very surprised that it took away as many as it did, but I'm happy that it did. Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody also came with a uh, also came out with four. They had a pretty strong showing. Um, and then for uh, Best Picture, I was a little surprised that Green Book ended up taking the Best Picture award. Uh, I can't say that I was the biggest fan of the film. It was fine, and that's nothing against anyone who was in the film or had a hand in you know, developing it. But it just wasn't my cup of tea, and I don't really think that it really told a story that I would see as best picture worthy. But that's just my opinion. Um, I've seen a lot of, like, really awful hate towards the film, and while, again, I disagree with it being best picture, I don't know why people are being so venomous towards it. Um, I just... Yeah, I mean, some awards, some award shows you come away from and you're really proud of some people and you feel that other people got snubbed. And I think that's just the case here. And we'll probably be saying the same thing about the uh, the Oscars next year. So either way, um, that's my quick Oscar recap. But now we're going to jump into the main meat of this episode. And I'm going to give you a quick background on the Umbrella Academy, starting with the comic. Now, the original comic was published by Dark Horse and was written by Gerard Way of My Chemical Romance fame, with art by Gabriel Ba. Uh, Gerard Way cites his influences for the book from uh, Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol, which Gerard Way would go on to later write, as you would know if you uh, listen to our episode last week on Doom Patrol. If you haven't checked it out, definitely do so. And he was also influenced by Pat McKeown's I know I said that wrong, but Pat McKeown's Zombie World, which was a uh, a kind of lesser-known fantasy uh, science fiction kind of book, but had all the same kind of weird trappings as Umbrella Academy. 
the first series, which was titled The Apocalypse Suite, ran from 2007 to 2008 and was followed up by a second series titled Dallas from 2008 to 2009. And a third series called Hotel Oblivion debuted just last year and is currently running right now. Um, I'm going to be completely honest and transparent with you guys. I had no idea that there was anything past the first series. Um, I read the original series, The Apocalypse Suite, and again, I liked it. I couldn't get past the art, but I really enjoyed the writing and the characters. I had no idea that the uh, that the book continued on with a second series and, of course, a third series that debuted last year. And it... It caused me to have a lot of confusion watching this show because as most adaptations do when they jump from the comic book or the novel format into a live action, whether it be film or TV adaptation, they pick and choose oftentimes a lot from the original source material, whether that be characters, whether that be plot points. And so there are certain characters and certain plot points in the show that I was just really confused about. I was like, they're these weren't here originally i get that netflix is you know has a certain amount of uh creative freedom but you're kind of altering a lot of stuff and you're inserting characters into a story that didn't originally have them so it was to a to my surprise finding out that there was not only a second series but a third series that is currently ongoing and I, it just blew my mind. It blew my mind. So I, um, I am on the hunt right now for a copy of Volume 2, which is uh, Umbrella Academy Dallas. So I have made it my mission to go back and read that, read that series and then catch up on the current series. Because these characters deserve to be supported. Uh, this whole IP deserves to be supported. But anyway, that's my little uh, my little side rant for the comic. Uh, the show was originally uh, optioned as a film for Universal Studios. They had picked up the rights for it, and they were going to produce just one film, which I think is not enough. Um, this film went into development hell relatively quickly, uh, and the... TV series was announced way back on July 7th of 2015. So this show has been in the works since then. Uh, shopping out for studios, trying to find a place to release, and they finally found their home when Netflix greenlit the project on July 11th of 2017, two years later. And it was officially under production from there and it was officially released on february 15th 2019 just over a week ago so that is the background on the uh the comic and the show again i it's it's weird because you see certain things and you look at um how quickly things can i guess get option developed like guardians of the galaxy i think is a prime example it is just as weird just as obscure as umbrella academy in certain aspects and right away once they got a team behind it that believed in it it just took off and 
this took years. This took years to put together to even get it greenlit. So I'm just, I'm really amazed by that. And I'm really, um, I think it speaks a lot to how different a lot of people's uh, experiences when they're talking about developing a comic book property and of course it it does take into account like how kid friendly or family friendly or uh, mainstream friendly uh, the property is but I think Netflix did about as much as it could to retain the weird spirit of the comic while making it kind of fit into the modern day uh, superhero comic book landscape when it comes to these live action adaptations but now we're going to jump to the full review, and again, I cannot stress this enough, there will be spoilers in this, so if you have not listened or you have not watched the show yet, do yourself a favor, go watch it, come back, and we'll discuss. But kicking it off, I just want to make a, uh, a quick point about how I think Netflix, because a lot of... Uh, well, the talk recently with Netflix canceling its Marvel TV shows, Daredevil, Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, Iron Fist, Punisher. Um, a lot of people, of course, and rightfully so, had a lot of resentment towards Netflix. And a lot of people who enjoyed those shows and enjoyed the fact that they could enjoy um, a more adult-oriented uh, comic book property on a streaming service were really bummed about this really bummed about the uh shows kind of getting canceled and now we're talking about they might be revived by hulu or by fx um and all the stuff that goes into that jessica jones hasn't even released its final season which is going to be season three and it's already been canceled punisher just released its season two and it's been canceled so i think this show is a I think it's a prime example of the idea that Netflix and its superhero market, the fandom that they brought in with all these Netflix Marvel shows, is ju is going to be just fine. If they keep pumping out uh, quality content like this, they are going to be just fine. And with this, they might have just found their next franchise to build you know, two, three, four, five seasons off of if they decide to stretch the show out that much. But I just wanted to make that quick point. Uh, the first thing that I have to talk about, I have to talk about, is the soundtrack. The soundtrack for this show is incredible. Every single song was utilized to its fullest. I really enjoy there. There might have been one or two songs that caught me off guard, but after settling into the songs in the context of the scenes, there was no song that I thought was out of place at any point in the show. I loved all of the musical interludes, all of the use of music to convey the gravity of a uh, certain scene or certain characters motivations their experiences there's a there's an incredible incredibly moving scene when uh, Klaus specifically comes back from Vietnam and he's sitting on the bus and there's this quiet uh, somber really just sad song playing as you see without him saying a single word and this is incredible acting done by uh, that actor 
just how much his experience because he's only been gone from a viewer standpoint for an episode 30 minutes give or take and in that time he spent over or i think he said almost a year in vietnam at the height of the vietnam war and lived through all of that traumatic experience uh finding someone to confide in finding what he viewed as his soulmate and losing him along with dealing with all the horrors of the vietnam war and then coming right back to where he left and being just shaken to his core by it and i thought the music in there was incredible there's also a moment um in i want to say it's episode two or three where uh number five is in a department store and he's reuniting with his uh, beloved Dolores for the first time and Queen's Don't Stop Me Now kicks on while uh, Hazel and Cha-Cha shoot up the department store trying to capture five and it's just it's used in such a great such a great and really um, I'm trying to think of the word it, it really gets you invested in the story. It gets you more invested in the scene that's unfolding before you because you are keyed in with the music, not only with like beats of action, but also with certain people's um, certain people's perspectives. My one of my all time favorite moments of the season was the I think we're alone now scene where I want to say it's in episode one where we have just been introduced to everyone all their archetypes have been kind of set and everyone has reunited in the uh, umbrella academy manner and they haven't seen each other in a while and everyone's not really on the best of terms and everyone's kind of off in their own spot inside the manor and luther puts you know he's um puts his record player sets it back up and puts a record on and it plays tiffany's i think we're alone now and oh man just seeing all of these characters really get to kind of loosen up and cut loose and like dance to this silly song that was released way back in the 80s it really gives you an insight into these characters like luther who is set up to be this kind of um captain america style character he's very straight laced very no nonsense um is kind of a huge dork and it shows in this scene where he's just kind of dork dorkily dancing around uh allison who has been kind of a downer this whole time has been very uh standoffish and not really i want to say she's almost been aloof towards everyone else um you see her kind of loosen up and remember what it's like to be to not have uh the world's eyes on her because she's a famous actress now uh vanya who has been so singled out by everyone else has been so put to the side because she quote unquote doesn't have powers and she is able to just kind of like let go of her um of her insecurities and just kind of dance like no one's watching diego who has been really just kind of a dick the entire first episode uh and shows and talks about how he's been focused on the mission this whole time in kind of a very a very batman way um 
shows that he can loosen up too while he's you know breakdancing and shuffling throughout the song and klaus who has shown nothing but bitterness towards uh reginald hardgreaves at any point that he's brought up dances with the urn of his father showing that he does still hold some kind of um some kind of positive feelings towards his dad it's just it's a great scene and when it pulls out and shows kind of like the dollhouse cut of it it show if that's really the moment where it sells to the audience this is a family this is how they they're a family this is how they're siblings this is how they fit together even as different as they all are both in their looks their power sets their walks of life their life experiences this is how they all fit together in this imperfect puzzle so the soundtrack was just incredible i have been hunting for a uh, a hard copy of just a compilation of the soundtrack because that is something that i could just pop into uh pop into my cd player and just listen to on a road trip because all the songs are so uh, varied we have modern songs we have classic songs we have up tempo down tempo jazz we've got hard rock like it's a full it's a full mixed bag for everything and it's a variety and a full range of musical tastes uh, I also really enjoyed the visuals the visuals were incredible for the budget that they had which I can't expect was a large budget um, Especially because this is an unproven uh, comic book property, though I assume that that may not be the case anymore. Um, it's just, you you really get to see when you put your mind to something and you have a vision for something, how well it is executed. Because Gerard Way obviously had a big influence on the development of the show. And he and the showrunner Steve Blackman really put their all into getting the most out of their budget whether that was their props the actors they hired the visual effects again the soundtrack and the royalties that um all go with that the visuals really speak for themselves and they really allow everyone's powers to be expressed and shown to the audience in a variety of different ways luther's strength allison's ability to basically warp reality through rumors um klaus's ability to summon up and talk to the dead diego's knife throwing ability like all of them had distinct visual cues vanya's powers though we didn't really ever get a set power set for her look beautiful in the way that they were implemented in the show and i really i just thought they were incredible i also really enjoyed as i mentioned earlier the uh, shortened episode count a lot of people myself included when we would talk about the marvel netflix shows would get a little put off by the episode counts because the episodes or the seasons typically were about 13 episodes i think iron fist season two was 10 episodes but with those 13 episodes you get you get right around seven to eight really great story driven episodes and then you get at least three possibly four maybe five episodes that just kind of feel like filler and 
this might be attributed to the fact that there was a set uh, start and end for this story, but I really enjoyed the truncated episode count, having 10 episodes and making the most out of each episode to get from point A to point B, I thought did wonders for the storytelling, as well as the characters themselves. The characters got plenty of time to shine without feeling like we were wasting the audience's time. I really enjoyed the fact that there are only 10 episodes, and I really hope that they kind of stick with this shortened episode count. I'm sure some people will, of course, find places where the series could have been shortened even further to maybe eight episodes. But I thought that the ten episode count was just perfect and got you just invested enough in each character in each episode. And from here, speaking of characters, I'm going to kind of list my characters from basically... All of the characters I'm going to mention here were my favorite characters, but I'm going to list them from like my favorite to like my least favorite. But still, if I don't mention the characters, they probably are less. I probably like them even less. But um, I just I wanted to give a moment to talk about each of these characters individually. Uh, first up, probably my favorite character in the show was Five. Uh, Five was a tour de force. In this season, the actor I want to say his name is Aiden Gallagher. I think he was phenomenal. He went from uh, the spots in the first and second episodes where he was kind of this petulant kid who didn't enjoy authority and really thought he was, you know, bigger than his britches, transitioned into for the rest of the show him being this 58 to 60 year old man inside of this boy's body and he did such a good job at being that old soul whether it was him talking about how crappy the coffee is to him giving snide and old man sass I just, I really enjoyed everything about his character. We also were left with questions that, not in a way that it's like, oh, they, you know, needed to answer this and now I'm lost. But we were presented with points that, you know, drop questions like just how long was he with the commission? Um, What other significant... Uh, historical events was he a part of we saw I think the Hindenburg we saw him just about to assassinate JFK and then he left Um, there's a lot that really is still shrouded in mystery with this character but I love that about his character and I really liked his relationship with Dolores him just carrying around half of a mannequin this whole time and talking to talking to her like it's his wife Um, I also really enjoyed his alcoholism, and that's really strange to say for a 13-year-old kid, but he played off alcoholism to a T. He was a great curmudgeonly old man stuck in this boy's body. I loved his power set and the way that they showed that, again, leaning into the visual effects, and I just thought he was a standout character. Uh, Next up, I have Klaus. Klaus was a character that really, at the very start, I didn't, I wasn't very invested in because we've seen this character before. Um, The kind of burnout, always wanting to be the center of attention, drug addict who is kind of the black sheep of the family, 
in a lot of different ways. And I remember leaning over to my partner and telling her, this is the most Ezra Miller character that you could see him play without it actually being Ezra Miller playing the character. Because so much of his early um, mannerisms, his body language was very Ezra Miller-esque and how he was very uh, fluid and very... I, I can't exactly put my finger on it, but I just, I saw those kind of um, qualities in him. But for Klaus, he really changed my mind. I wasn't invested in him at the, at the start, but I got more and more invested in him throughout the season. And he was a joy to watch. He stole nearly every scene that he was a part of. Uh, the scene where they're in the bowling alley and the... I'm assuming the time commission soldiers bust in and they start shooting up the place and Klaus is, you know, ducked under one of the tables and he's like, maybe they're here for Kevin's birthday party. Like he was just, he stayed on the periphery of um, the seriousness that a lot of the other characters kind of stuck with. And he remained as this, not just a comedic relief character, but someone who brought levity and brevity to these situations and i really appreciate that about his character and then the turn that we got with him halfway through the season with him um essentially getting shanghaied from the current time back into the vietnam war and him coming back and you see all the ptsd that he suffered from the fact that he lost dave his his one true love and i just you really saw a growth in his character and the way that he saw things the way that he said things the way that he did things and his relationship with ben was fantastic too i really appreciated uh the fact that we as an audience really got to see what made klaus tick uh the moments in the hotel room where he is bound up by cha-cha and hazel and he's having conversations with all of their victims and really getting in touch with his power for the first time and really embracing it uh we saw the really messed up stuff that hargreaves did to him when he was a kid throwing him in a mausoleum and basically just leaving him to the wolves essentially while he was visited and harassed by these dead spirits and then watching and really kind of getting this idea of this is why he's so messed up this is why he uh tries to be high on drugs all the time because then it blocks out his power and it really allows him to breathe for the first time so uh, it it gives you a reason to want him to be an addict and it oh man there there are so many ways that that you um that you get in the headspace of these characters and i think that klaus is a prime example of a character who you may not understand quite at first but you really adore every single time he's on screen next up uh we have luther and luther is everything that i normally look for in a character uh he is the captain america superman style character super strength and he is essentially in this show half man half gorilla and what i liked about it because i realized that as a fan of my two favorite superheroes being captain america and superman i realized that i have a bias towards soldier type characters who are you know typically considered by the general audience to be bland or boring i realize that i have a 
have a bias towards those characters, and I recognize that. However, I really enjoyed his character. I really enjoyed the fact that they made him this... I want. It's not exactly a gentle giant, but he's an awkward giant. He is someone who has all of Captain America's training, all of his uh, bravado, all of his... Um, I, I guess all of his uh, core values, but he has all of that Clark Kent awkwardness and Clark Kent clumsiness too. He, I, in multiple scenes, on multiple episodes, uh, tries to fit in somewhere, whether it's a car or his own room or wherever, and finds himself just knocking things over and just unaware of just quite how big he is. And I really, I really liked that. We got to see the events that led to him being transformed into this kind of ape hybrid, uh, which was heartbreaking. And you really get to see him pining after his one true love, his lost, uh, the one that got away in Allison. And I really enjoyed seeing that. I really enjoyed watching his character develop from this uh, kind of bitter former leader into someone who steps back into that leader role to the point that when we get to that final episode with Vanya when they're all trying to figure out what they're going to do he steps comfortably not awkwardly not with trepidation like he does throughout the rest of the season he steps right back into the leadership role directing traffic being a general for them being a captain if you will and i really loved seeing that i loved his his awkwardness his fight scenes the way that they showed his powers i really enjoyed him as a character uh next up we have diego and diego is another character that i thought initially was just going to be a dick the whole time and i uh watching it with uh with sammy i was very very much in the camp at least in the first episode that all right diego's a dick and he is going to be a dick this entire season and much to my surprise again they got you invested in a character that they did everything in their power to in the first episode to get you to dislike uh first dealing with the stuff with uh their mother him having to turn her off because in their eyes she was malfunctioning and it, it was easier this way to him having to come upon the scene after his ex-girlfriend detective patch is killed by cha-cha and watching him just get beat down episode after episode after episode really again gets you invested in this character and want to see him succeed to the point that when he comes back and he uh he has that conversation with five where five makes him talk about all the things that he liked about patch and him realizing that this vendetta that he has on wanting to kill hazel and cha-cha for what they did to her would not be honoring her memory because she always wanted to help people and the moment in the final episode where he recognizes that the way to honor her memory is to beat cha-cha but not to kill her really was a great step in his character and showed great growth in him as an individual. I loved his powers. I loved seeing him as this vigilante with obviously with a uh, with a relationship with the local police department. It was just really good and I would be interested in seeing more of his kind of uh, solo vigilante adventures in maybe like an extended format. 
Uh, also, and this might be come as a surprise, being this high up on the list, next up is Ben. I really, really enjoyed Ben, both from a uh, kid standpoint, where he is the reluctant hero who has these Cthulhu-like tentacles that spring out of his stomach, to the more, I want to say, somber and sassy uh, specter that we see from him as conjured up by Klaus. And for most of the season, all we see from Ben is as a projection of Klaus. And he kind of serves as Klaus's Jiminy Cricket, kind of as his conscience, trying to direct traffic, trying to get him to do the right thing in all of his appearances. And I liked that about him. I liked that we, again, didn't get a clear answer on what happened to him. Uh, I hope that we finally get an answer in season two because I don't believe they ever answered it in the comic either what happened to him. We just know that it was horrible and that a lot of people blame Luther. So I'm hoping that it sheds more light on that. But again, I really enjoyed his chemistry with Klaus. The two actors did phenomenal. They had great chemistry with each other. And the final episode where he finally pops up as a manifestation of Klaus's new mastery of his powers, and he just gets to cut loose and take down all of the armed soldiers that enter into the uh, the theater, was really good. And I hope that we get to see more of him in the next season. It seems like we're going to, but we'll see. Next up, I have Allison. I have Allison uh, here because as much as I liked the character, as much as I liked the... Uh, her arc and her power set, I wasn't sold on the actress. I think for the most part, she was probably the weakest actress out of the core uh, the core children. Children meaning the adults, obviously. But um, I, I thought that um, she wasn't as well utilized as she could have been. Uh, I recognized that they had to do certain story beats from the comic that they were adapting and that she didn't have as good of a showing as everyone else in the comic either. But I really would have liked them to do more with her character. I would have liked to get more perspective because I feel like we got plenty of really great perspective through Klaus, through Diego, through Luther, but we didn't get as much with Allison. And the we really didn't get to see inside her headspace until unfortunately she had her throat cut and i really connected with her and luther in the final episode especially in that uh in that scene when they're in the photo or not the photo booth the phone booth and they're talking to her daughter claire on the uh on the phone and that was the first moment where i was like okay now i'm really just Ah, I'm really invested in Allison's character. And they try to get you to be really invested in her in episode 9. And I think at that point, we needed to already have been invested in her. So I think they could have done a better job with really um, get getting us invested in her character and in her perspective earlier in the season. And But I still enjoyed her. I enjoyed her power set. I enjoyed how they expressed that. And I liked the flashback episodes showing her relationship with Luther and how it blossomed and how it ultimately kind of fell apart. Next up, I have Vanya. Vanya... I, okay, so I have Vanya this low for one reason and one reason alone. And that is because 
even if I hadn't previously read the comic, which I'll honest to God, I hadn't read in over 10 years, her arc was very predictable. And she fell into a lot of the traps that we see nowadays with these um, too powerful to control characters who finally get to cut loose and are bitter towards the world about being held back. I really, I wish we had gotten more, um, more reasons to be sympathetic for her. Uh, I feel like all of the scenes showing her pre, uh, prior to her getting, uh, the medication and being told that she's not special. She came off as a real brat and then her just kind of falling into this, like, I'm going to, I hate everyone. I'm going to destroy the world now. Um, and that's not to say that Ellen Page didn't do a great job. I loved Ellen Page in this role. I'm a huge fan of Ellen Page as an actress, and I really appreciated her perspective and her performance in this character. And I liked her powers. Again, I, I wish that we had gotten a more concrete idea on what her powers exactly were. But I, I enjoyed just visually how her powers were expressed they looked beautiful the visual effects expressing them were fantastic i loved watching her suit turn from black to white in the final scene when she's playing the violin i really enjoyed those care those beats but i wish i had gotten more time to invest in her as a character because i feel like as an audience we were really strung along for her story and it's for the most part, it's fairly obvious what's going to happen with her once we start getting those ideas that she has powers. Uh, next up, I have Hazel and Agnes. I loved Hazel and Agnes. I am grouping them together because they were at their best when they were with each other. Uh, Hazel and Agnes were the pitch-perfect couple who... Uh, deserved the world and they were kind of this star-crossed lovers idea of Agnes being this simple donut shop owner and Hazel being this you know world-weary businessman who is kind of tired of the job and looking for something else out of, outside of his career and I really liked how they found solace in each other how they had this kind of like secret romance and how Hazel was willing to give up everything for her even down to the final moments and I loved that the very end when the apocalypse is happening the moon has crashed into the earth or segments of it at least um, as the apocalypse is rolling through and destruction is happening all around them they're able to have one last moment together and if you saw they warped out because they had the briefcase that i'm assuming uh the um the handler had so i would not put it past them i would not put it past uh the showrunners to give us more hazel and agnes in season two and i would absolutely be down for that uh, and last up here, I have Pogo as well as Mom. Um, I love them together. I love them as a kind of uh, odd couple duo uh, with their mother being very, uh, oh, yes, dear. Very, like, 
idyllic 50s style like housewife and pogo was this chimpanzee who was also alfred and both of them had secrets both of them um as we come to find out had a hand in hargreaves's death and i was i knew it was coming but i was heartbroken when we lost pogo and then following up with them losing their mom as well both of her exits when she gets initially turned off by Diego and then when she gets torn down with the manor, I was, oh, oh, it gets you. It really, it really gets you because these two characters, I think even more so than Hargreaves himself, were the parents of these, of these seven children. They were the people who raised them essentially and watching them and their interactions i was always happy to see them and i was just heartbroken to see them go uh next up i wanted to touch on the element of time travel because time travel as most people who are familiar with any kind of uh genre content whether it be fantasy sci-fi what have you um Time travel's tricky. Time travel's real tricky. And when you implement it in a story that doesn't exactly focus on it, but shows the consequences as well as the implementation of it as a business, it can get really tricky and it can get really mucky. And I really appreciated the idea that um, they really took a vested interest in making the audience understand the time travel aspect. I really liked the time commission. I really liked the motivations behind the handler and the entire commission itself. Uh, of course, number five, having those time travel powers. He's essentially um, a more modern, updated version of uh, Hero from Heroes. And I really enjoyed the idea that this whole thing starts off with number five accidentally time traveling and that's what kicks off the whole impetus of the season because if he doesn't accidentally he if he doesn't think that he can handle it and accidentally time travel to the future without being able to find a way home he wouldn't find out about the apocalypse we wouldn't know that it was coming and then him coming back and it turning into, all right, we've got seven days to save the world because I've been to the future and it sucks, really kicks off the story. And I really appreciated how they handled the time travel here. And the fact that they took an entire episode, an entire episode, and I should have I known from the title of it called The Day That Never Was. And... They took an entire episode to get you invested in these characters and their uh, character development and the uh, way that the story moved their characters and their arcs forward just to hit the reset button at the very end of the episode and go, nah, and go all the way back and show a worse uh, sequence of events in the very next episode I thought was a masterstroke in this show and I thought it was really well done it was a very good use of time travel when it comes to uh, sci-fi storytelling um, I also wanted to touch on the 
idea, I have it written in my notes here as style and substance. Because a lot of times we'll see uh, style, no substance, or uh, no style but substance, where we have something that's flashy but isn't really, um, it doesn't really end up meaning anything. And I think that this is a show and a uh, medium of viewing something that feeds into both. It's got style, the musical numbers, the effects, but it's also got substance. These characters, how messed up they are, how their upbringing directly impacts their relationships with not just each other, but with the world, the greater world itself, really shows that this show took it's time to invest in not just the events but in the characters i myself am a uh am a character over plot kind of person when it comes to uh stories i prefer good characters in a story rather than good plot i will and i guess that also feeds into uh art making or breaking my comic viewing experience that i will get invested in well done characters every time even if in their even if they're part of a lackluster story and i was happy and i am still very happy that we got to see all these great characters in a really well told story so again style and substance you can't go wrong here uh and i think that really kind of carries into the not just the showrunner and steve blackman who did an amazing job but in the original writer of the comic who had a heavy uh influence on the development of the show and that's gerard way and also being influenced by as we covered earlier the doom patrol which i think is hilarious and i wonder if it's really a coincidence that both doom patrol the show and uh, Umbrella Academy came out at the same time. I think it's really interesting, and I don't know if I would chalk that up to a coincidence or not. But both of these shows show, you know, messed up heroes who are trying to make the world a better place. And I really, I really like it. I really like it. I love these characters. I love the idea of taking these characters who, you know, kind of peaked as kids and getting to see them afterwards really gets you invested in the characters very quickly because you've already gone through almost the hero's journey with these characters rising to prominence and becoming the heroes that fought evil villains and all that stuff. And now you get to see what happens afterwards. And you get to see these misfits kind of band together to try and save the world one more time. So I really liked it. And I think that it's 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 one of those things where you want more of it as soon as it ends. And I think that is going to carry into my final point, which is the ending. The ending was incredibly well done because as the apocalypse is happening the moon is raining down people are dying and the apocalypse is coming to pass five has this crazy idea to jump not just himself but all of his brothers and sisters back in time to try and avert this future or i guess we really don't know what his goal is but to jump them through so that they all survive and we get to see the world crumbling around them as five is pushing himself to the absolute limit of his abilities to get all of his brothers and sisters to warp with him we get a quick flash of the characters almost being regressed to children just like klaus 
not Klaus, just like five was uh, when he jumped back at the beginning of the season. So I'm interested to see if the uh, if the kids have more screen time in the next season. But with it cutting off to they jump back in time, we don't know where, we don't know when, the world ends, and it just cutting to credits. Oh man, what a cliffhanger. What a... What an incredible cliffhanger. And it gets you immediately invested in seeing a season two. So again, as I've said before, I cannot see, I cannot envision a world where Netflix does not renew this for season two. It was the highest, uh, it was the most watched Netflix property for this entire past week and a half. And I, they would be crazy. They would be out of their mind to walk away from the potential franchise that they have now built for themselves. So I am looking forward to, and I'm looking forward to seeing more of these characters and more of these stories. I'm looking forward to seeing what, uh, what aspects of the comic they bring forward in the next season, which means I need to start doing my homework now, reading through uh, the second and third volumes of the story. And I'm just really excited that a lot of people are getting um, getting invested in these characters and these properties that aren't part of the big two. This wasn't a DC Comics property. This wasn't a Marvel Comics property. This is something that came out of complete left field. And people are not just invested in it, they're hungering for more. So I could not be happier with this show if I have... If I had to give it an arbitrary rating out of five, like we do every time I do these reviews, I would I would give it a strong four and a uh, four and three quarters out of five, uh, and that last quarter is just because of me wanting to be more invested with certain characters in the show. But that is gonna do it for this review. Uh, let me know what you thought of this season, of this show. Uh, I would love to hear your favorite points of the show. I'd love to hear your least favorite points of the show. I would love to hear about your favorite characters, your least favorite characters, things that made you smile, things that made you sad. Uh, I I almost rolled a tear once or twice during this show because you got so invested in these characters. And I really would love to have a conversation with you all about it. So uh, that is going to do it for this review. Um, uh, I'm going to tack this on. I'm going to tack this on at the end just because I wanted to uh, gauge your interest. Because I like doing reviews. I like doing these reviews. And I really like um, reviewing things kind of as they come out. But it's hard to review something like a show without having all of the pieces in place to fully uh, review the entire story. So I am going to put it out to you because I would be interested in possibly doing a weekly review of a show that's currently going on. I think the best thing that I could come up with right now is Doom Patrol since the second episode just came out this past Friday and it's going to be releasing every Friday for the duration of the season. So let me know if you would be interested in doing uh, in me doing a weekly review kind of at the end of each episode. That would be an add-on to the segments that we have. Because I, I will give you a quick spoiler about a possible review for episode two of Doom Patrol. 
I still loved it. It's still good. Cyborg is great. Um, and I would love to talk more about this because I think this is such a great time for these shows and these comic book properties to really get a spotlight that they haven't had before. So let me know if you'd be interested in that. Um, chime in at any any point, uh, whether it, it's a comment on any of the uh, podcasting platforms that you happen to be listening on, whether it's tweeting us at Pod, that's at Pod pod on twitter or through email uh to geeksplain at gmail.com feel free to let me know what you think about that and i will go ahead and kick it on over to myself with this week's comics countdown welcome back to this week's comics countdown this is the segment of the show where I let you know what books I'm picking up this week for uh, New Comic Book Day and the books that I think you should be picking up as well. I'll be giving you the title, the creative team, as well as a short synopsis of each book. And with each synopsis, of course, I will be using my synopsis voices. Uh, if you have a synopsis voice you would like me to try out on the next episode, please feel free to let me know at Geeksplain Pod. That's at Geeksplain P O D on Twitter, uh, and we'll go ahead and jump into it. Typically, it's you know five books, sometimes more, sometimes less, and this is one of those sometimes more uh, segments. So uh, we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight books total. We have a stacked week this week. Uh, I talked to a. Uh, friend of mine at the local comic book shop near me uh last week and we were talking about how stacked the week was uh last week but this week almost blows last week out of the water for sure so we'll go ahead and jump into this first book here we'll go through each book individually and i'll let you know what's going on with each one and starting us off here is fantastic four number seven written by dan slot with art by aaron cuter one of my favorites um this book has been really good so far uh the first kind of arc has been really devoted to setting up uh, ben Grimm and Alicia Masters wedding and now that we've made our way through that Galactus is back wanting to of course eat the earth like he does and it's the last couple issues have been devoted to this almost uh, standstill war between uh, Galactus and Doctor Doom so we'll go ahead and jump into the synopsis here Herald of Doom Part 2 in a battle between Doctor Doom and Galactus, who would you favor? A man who is trying to be a hero to his beloved nation, or an unstoppable cosmic force of nature? It's a simple choice, unless you're Mr. Fantastic. This dilemma, plus a strange new development in the life of the Human Torch, and a long-forgotten threat from the Fantastic Four's past resurfaces. So yeah, um, it's again, it puts Reed, being Mr. Fantastic, in a really rough position because he essentially has to pick a side between two of his most bitter enemies. So definitely check that out if you want to know what he chooses. Next up, we have Superior Spider-Man number three, written by Christos Gage with art by Mike Hawthorne. Uh, it's been a great little uh, weekend for Christos Gage. 
Spider-Verse won an Oscar. <laughs> Into the Spider-Verse won the Oscar for Best Animated Film, and uh, Christos Gage was a big part of getting that initial Spider-Verse uh, book together and has been really championing uh, Otto Octavius throughout that, which I'm hoping we see in some form or another as we look to the future of the Into the Spider-Verse franchise. But this book has been so good for the first two issues, and now just like in uh, the book previous, Fantastic Four, we have a cosmic-powered uh, villain in Terax, former Herald of Galactus. And it's basically an all-out uh, brawl between Terax and the Superior Spider-Man throughout San Francisco. And in the last issue, spoilers, uh, Superior Spider-Man was able to siphon some of Terax's cosmic energy, and now it is going to be a cosmic energy versus cosmic energy beatdown. So we'll go ahead and jump into the synopsis here. Outpowered and outclassed by Terax, Otto Octavius somehow turns himself into the cosmically powered Superior Spider-Man. This may not be enough to defeat Terax, but if so, is the world ready for an Otto Octavius with this level of power? So yeah, uh, it's, it's an interesting question. Um, Otto Octavius is far from the most humble person in the Marvel Universe. Uh, not even for the uh, Spider-Man rogues gallery. So giving him cosmic power is a recipe for disaster. So we'll see what happens there. Next up, we have West Coast Avengers number eight, written by Kelly Thompson with art by Gang Hyuk Lim. I am so sorry if I said that name wrong. I really apologize. But this book has been super good so far. And it looks like we are jumping into the next uh Jumping into the next arc, we just wrapped up the previous arc, kind of introducing the new uh, West Coast Masters of Evil. So we'll go ahead and jump to the synopsis here. Kate Bishop's ex, Novar, is back in town in a big way and needs her help with something weird. Do exes ever come back for normal reasons? They do not. That's right, something of foul is afoot in the City of Angels, and surprisingly, it's not the newly foreign Masters of Evil West Coast, or that Dutch oven guy. No, this reeks of the Hollywood elite, with a seriously gross tinge of cult, and it will take all of the West Coast Avengers working together, uncomfortable love triangles and personal problems be damned, in order to save the day. Sexy undercover mission, here we come. Also, did Gwenpool find and adopt a baby land shark? Why, yes. Yes, she did. So yeah, this book has been so good so far. Um, I'm looking forward to more wacky, zany adventures with this team. And uh, yeah, there's, I, there's too many good things. I can't say enough good things about this book. Another book I can't say too... I can't say enough good things about is uh, Detective Comics and this week's issue is Detective Comics number 999 we are just one issue away from Detective Comics 1000 big landmark issue uh, Superman got his Action Comics number 1000 last year huge deal um, it's kind of at least for me personally it's been on kind of a downward trend since then for Superman, and I'm hoping that uh, Batman does not uh, repeat that. But this book, written by Peter J. Tomasi and with art by Doug Monkey, has been incredible so far. With an ending last 
issue that really was just kind of out of left field and it makes you question everything that you've been reading up to this point so uh yeah i'm really interested to see what happens let's go ahead and jump into the synopsis here the truth behind the gauntlet batman has been forced to run a violent odyssey that endangered the lives of everyone who made him who he is is revealed at last and the mastermind working to unmake the Batman must be seen to be believed. Is there a goal here beyond destruction? Will Batman emerge stronger? Or with a mortal wound at the exact moment that his most dangerous challenge yet is on the horizon in next month's Detective Comics 1000? So yeah, um, the synopsis kind of makes it seem like this is the uh, kind of the wrap-up for the current arc and that the next... Uh, the next issue is going to be kicking off something new, which we do know that uh, the comic version of the Arkham Knight will be making his first appearance in Detective Comics 1000 and that it will not be Jason Todd this time around. So I'm interested to see how this kind of ties into that and I'm interested to see what the uh, arc so far has kind of been leading to. Next up, we have Captain America number eight, written by Tanahisi Coates with art by Adam Kubert. Uh, this book's been a really good slow burn for me. Uh, it kind of brings me back to the Ed Brubaker run, where it's a little bit more uh, spy thriller esque than you know bombastic uh, summer blockbuster. And I've been really enjoying it. I love seeing the whole man out of time dealing with. Uh, today's political and um, kind of governmental climate. So this book has really been good so far. Uh, we had a big reveal on uh, two issues previous and last issue is kind of gearing up for what we're going to be expecting next. So we'll go ahead and jump into the synopsis here. Captain of Nothing continues. Cap accused. Cap in custody. Cap. Killer. As the power elite makes its play against the star-spangled Avenger, Captain America is in no position to fight back. Who stands with Cap? So yeah, again, um, it's Cap versus the government. You know, it's the classic, it's almost a tale as old as time at this point. So I really enjoy those kind of stories, and I'm interested to see where they go next with this one. Uh, next up, we have Flash number 65. This is the final uh, installment in the Batman Flash crossover, The Price. It's been really good so far. Um, I believe in last week's episode, I told you guys that I really wanted them to give us kind of a direction on where the endgame was for this crossover in last week's issue. And last week's issue really did that. It delivered in spades. And I'm really, really excited to see uh, just exactly what ends up happening in this issue. Um, it's been a wild ride, so I am expecting something uh, groundbreaking, something to shake everything up, and hopefully give us some answers going forward. So we're going to jump into the extremely descriptive and really long preview here. The Last Cold Case Finale so yeah, that's it. Um, the uh, Most of the synopses that I've looked up have been pretty much the same synopsis from previous issues. Uh, so that this was the only one that was different. 
<laughs> so um, not a whole lot of letting us know exactly what's going to go on, which I kind of like, but I am hoping to get more answers by the conclusion of this issue. Next up, we have Invaders number two, written by Chip Zdarsky with Carlos Magno. I really enjoy the first issue. Um, I love this idea of Namor kind of devolving into the Mad King role and his old teammates, that being the original Human Torch, uh, Bucky, also known as the Winter Soldier, and Captain America. I just bring them together and having them go against one of their own. I, I love the Invaders as a team, and I'm really excited to see where this is going. And with Chip Zdarsky writing, you know, you can't go wrong. So uh, we'll go ahead and jump into the synopsis here. After the shocking reveals about Namor last issue, the Human Torch goes deeper into the Submariner's past, hoping to uncover his plan. But Captain America goes the direct route to Atlantis, alone against the Mad King and his armies in the exciting second chapter of War Ghosts, the American Ambassador. So yeah, this is almost being set up as like a um, just the way that the synopses have been written for the first two issues, the way that they're really framing it. It's feeling like a political thriller, which I really like, as I said earlier. Um, and I just, I am really excited to see where they go with this. Namor has been one of the most interesting Marvel characters of the last few years, uh, just with all of his weirdness and the fact that no one can really put a pin on what he's thinking at any given time so i'm i'm excited to see what happens with this issue and finally rounding out the group we have heroes in crisis number six written by tom king with art by mitch jareds this is one of those issues that was uh, kind of added on to the series i believe because the original heroes in crisis run was only supposed to be seven issues but they added in two issues which i'm assuming uh are the issues drawn by mitch jareds with most of the other issues being drawn by clay man so uh this issue has a lot riding on it. I think people who have hung on for the first five issues are really looking for some kind of revelation, some kind of way to move the story along, because the last couple issues have been more about kind of establishing why you're supposed to care about this tragedy, and I'm hoping that this issue pushes things forward. So we'll go ahead and jump into the synopsis here. Get a deeper look into the inner workings of Sanctuary. When heroes visited the facility, they relived their trauma through virtual reality, contending with the events that brought them there in the hope of reaching a meaningful resolution. That is, until the trauma took over and escalated these personal events into a full-blown crisis. Find out what pushed one of the superheroes over the edge, and how it broke the machine. This special issue reunites the Eisner Award-winning Mr. Miracle team of writer Tom King and artist Mitch Jarrods. So yeah, uh, I first of all, love Mr. Miracle. Uh, if you haven't yet, pick up the trade. If you haven't read any of the issues, or if you kind of dropped off halfway through, do yourself a favor, pick up the trade. The book is amazing. But jumping back into this book, um, again, I really, I really want this to have a meaningful conclusion. I'm hoping that this issue isn't more padding. It 
with the synopsis it's kind of telling us like what the inciting incident is going to be which i hope we do get the answer to that uh we only have three more issues in the book after this so i'm excited to see exactly how they wrap this up the last issue gave us a lot of questions with uh pretty much all centered around wally west so i'm interested to see what they do with it how they're going to wrap this all up and what wally west's ultimate role in this tragedy is going to be and that is going to do it for this week's comics countdown to uh recap we have fantastic four number seven we have superior spider-man number three west coast avengers number eight detective comics number 999 captain america number eight flash number 65 invaders number two and heroes in crisis number six so that is going to do it for this week's episode thank you very much for listening i had a blast going through uh, all of these books as well as reviewing the first season of the umbrella academy uh let me know what you thought of the season what your favorite characters were what your favorite moments were and what you think that netflix might be able to improve upon uh with a potential season two which I'm assuming is going to happen. They haven't announced it yet, but they would be crazy to not renew for season two. Um, but yeah, drop all your thoughts on Twitter at GeekSplainedPod and give us a follow. You could also send emails to me because I'm an old man and I still read emails to GeekSplained at gmail.com. Uh, we are marching our way onto our one-year anniversary, just like uh, Detective Comics is marching on their way to uh, issue number 1000. And we've also got Captain Marvel debuting in a couple weeks as well. So uh, lots of content coming up, lots of good stuff in the pipeline. Um, we also are, I have, I have a pretty good lock on what my next series is going to be. Uh, it's going to be much shorter than the Kingdom Hearts series, and it is going to be kind of what kicks off our, uh, second year, our volume two, if you will, for, uh, the Geek Explained podcast. So stay tuned for all of that and stay tuned for, uh, our next episode next week, same geek time, same geek channel. And for Geek Explained, this is Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you next time.